The Athletic. Totally football show. Today, it's a Premier League back sack and crack special as things get hairy down the bottom. Palace are back, Potter gets the sack and Leicester also crack with United's win over Ten Hag's team and City and Arsenal's 4-1s. It's a show as packed as most Premier League managers' bags. We'll be talking about all of that and much more in this Totally Football Show. All right, it's Monday the 3rd of April, listener. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's me, James Richardson, after the breath of fresh air that was Kelly Sommers, the summer's breeze, if you will. I'm back just in time for this pretty mega show. Uh, who have I got with me? Daniel Story. Hello, Daniel. Good morning, James. Good morning to you. Natalie Gedra. Bon dia. Bon dia, Natalie. And topically, one opinionated Russian blogger who's about to explode, Sasha Gurionov. <laughs> morning, James. Good morning. You know, because of... Yeah. Yeah, Liverpool at City. <laughs> no, I... Oh, right, yeah, that's true. Anyway, Liverpool at City, that was a big one. We'll get onto that very shortly. A lot of things to discuss. Uh, above all, uh, the, the latest round of managerial dispatches. Two going this weekend. How many does that make? Daniel, don't answer because I know you'll know. Natalie, do you know how many we've had this 13. season? It is 13. Yes. It is 13. Jamie wants to know, is that a record? What's the record for the most managers sacked in a season? In the Premier League. I yeah. think that's a record. Yeah, that, I think it's, only, it's, yeah. it's the best. I mean, we're getting to a sort of Turkish Super League sort of stage now. Nice. Some way off Syria, perhaps. I mean, Palermo on their own will traditionally have <laughs> maybe 13 or 14, but, but yeah. But funny thing, it's 13, but it's uh, nine clubs mm. because Southampton changed managers twice right. and, and so Chelsea as yeah. yeah, so far. And Chelsea as well, right? Absolutely. And also not everyone sacked because obviously Potter left Brighton to go to Chelsea. My mistake. Completely <laughs> different scenario. You're right. Okay, so 13 and unlucky for some. Uh, or possibly all, actually. Uh, are they the last? How many do you think we're going to get by the end of the season, anyone? I'm worried that if Forest lose at Leeds on Tuesday, you might, might get number 14. I, said, I think that's the only other one, unless West Ham get pulled right back into trouble. But uh, yeah, Forest Steve Cooper is on uh, thin ice, mm. I think. All right. Chelsea and Leicester, the two clubs deciding to make the change this weekend. We're going to hear the inside track on both of those decisions. First of all, Chelsea, we've got Liam Toomey standing by with all the details. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Ramsey looking to tee one up for McGinn. Oh, brilliant. What a goal. Well, you're just worried as soon as the ball dropped to him because that's his party piece, John McGinn. And he smashed in a special goal which puts Chelsea in big trouble. Yep, Potter no longer at the wheel after the 2-0 defeat against Villa this weekend, bringing to an end six or possibly seven months as Chelsea manager. Liam Toomey joining us now. Liam, thank you for being with us today. It's very, very good to be here. I mean, it's, it, it's better... For me to be in Dorset this week, which is where I was initially planning to go. Right. Um, I am going to try and do that while okay. making calls on the future of Chelsea. I see. I see. Uh, well, I'll be interested to hear what, what you think those calls might bring in terms of uh, names, etc. First of all, 
Sitaram asks, whose decision was this, do you think, at Chelsea? Ultimately, it's always an ownership decision. Um, you know, the the messaging coming from the top of the club is that the co-sporting directors, Paul Winstanley and Lawrence Stewart, um, led the evaluation of Potter on Saturday evening and, in, and into Sunday morning. But ultimately, it is Todd Bowley and Badadeg Bali who who made the final decision to to pull the plug on his tenure after just a few months. And given how much money was involved in hiring Potter and his backroom staff and will now be involved in, in dismissing him and hiring the next coach, I think it was always going to be an ownership decision above all. Mm. Who do you think the next coach is going to be? It's too early to say with certainty, but I think Julian Nagelsmann is quite rightly the front runner. Um, he's he's worked with Lawrence Stewart and Christopher Vivell before uh, at RB Leipzig. His his agent is Timo Werner's agent, so the owners have dealt with him before as well. And I think he's someone who, just by his reputation as one of the the foremost tactical minds in Europe, and the fact that he's available, although of course Chelsea will have to pay a transfer fee uh, to Bayern Munich in order to in order to get him. But we already know that. Todd Bowley and Badadeg Bali don't have a massive problem with paying transfer fees. Um, it would be a delicious choice, not least because Chelsea could be facing Bayern Munich, who have only just fired Nagelsmann in the Champions League. I mean, I'm, I'm not professionally supposed to have a preference about who the next Chelsea coach <laughs> is, but I am rooting for Nagelsmann to come in purely to appease the narrative gods. Um, it, it would just be too delicious to have... Nagelsmann versus Bayern, Tuchel versus Chelsea, all in one two-legged tie. But of course, Chelsea have to get past Real Madrid first. And there wasn't a great deal of confidence that they could do that with Graham Potter at the helm, which certainly fed into the decision to get rid of him now. Hi, Liam. Sash here. Um, I just have a question for you. In terms of timing and in terms of getting someone in before the end of the season, I thought that Bruno Saltor is there as interim until the end of the season. So, But what is your feeling? Would they actually bring someone in April? Well, that's what they're say- saying right now. Um, he- he's interim until he's not. <laughs> um, so I-, I think it will depend on the conversations that are had in, in the coming days and weeks. We-, we know that since Nagelsmann left Bayern, he's been intimating that he wants a bit of a break um, and would only consider a new post in the summer. That was before the Chelsea job became available. So we we don't know how that will shift things. And we also know that Chelsea are saying they want to go through this deliberate, exhaustive process. They made the decision to hire Potter very, very quickly back in September after dismissing Tuchel. And I think there's, there's maybe an element of regret that they moved so quickly on that front. But we also know that what Chelsea's owners are saying and what they're doing is not always the 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 same two things and and things can change quite quickly so at the moment the plan is for Bruno to be in charge for the remainder of of Chelsea's Premier League campaign and and probably this um this Champions League tie but I wouldn't rule out something changing if a a coach that Chelsea are really um excited about like Nagelsmann intimates that they're prepared to come earlier Mm. Bruno's interim but they're just not that interim uh Daniel (laughs) Liam, it kind of strikes as an outsider that if you buy a huge amount of players who don't necessarily fit together, then what Chelsea might need is a not a coach, but a manager, like a Ancelotti or a Conte or a Mourinho type that have all done very well there. Is Nagelsmann not just a kind of pimped up version of Graham Potter? 
I think you might need a, a couple of managers just for crowd control uh, in terms of the first team squad. That we were being told about, you know, training games happening at Cobham in the last couple of weeks where there was an eleven v eleven and a nine v nine going on 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 adjacent pitches. Um, so there's there's a lot to work with at Chelsea in terms of quantity as well as quality. But I, I do take your point about Nagelsmann. I think he is someone who is associated with a very particular style of football. We know that it didn't go down well at Bayern Munich with everyone. He was dealing with a, a very experienced, very established squad containing quite a few players that are older than he is. I think the Chelsea squad profiles slightly differently. Nagelsmann will probably have an easier job commanding the respect of the dressing room just because he does come in with a, a bigger reputation than Potter even just by managing Bayern, um, if only for a relatively short time. But I, yeah, I do take your take your point that maybe a a more subtle adjuster might be better for this group of players. But honestly, it's such a morass of talent at Chelsea right now that I think you can mould it into anything. Um, that you know, I, I think as, as long as they have someone who comes in with a with a clear idea of what they want to do and the charisma to to carry the players with them. Chelsea could could be anything. They're kind of a, a very expensively assembled blank slate right now. Liam, Natalie here. So we're, we're talking about Nagelsmann and I know it might be too early to, you know, name drop here. But besides Nagelsmann, how do you feel the owners see other options and the most obvious ones, uh, Luis Enrique, who, who made it clear recently that he wants to manage in the Premier League and, and even uh, Mauricio Pochettino. Yeah, well, we know that they met with um, Pochettino before hiring Potter, if only to kind of get a sense of what he was like. And um, so, we, so we know that Pochettino has been on the radar before, but everything we're being told right now, and I appreciate, you know, you, you probably take this with a pinch of salt because Chelsea's owners are under the microscope more than ever in light of this decision, is that the recruitment process for a new coach will genuinely be led by Paul Winstanley and Lawrence Stewart, the co-sporting directors. This is the reason they were hired. Um, this is the reason why Bowley and Egg Barley went out and, and got guys that whose football's opinions and football insights they respected to, to run the football operation. So within that within that context, it probably matters more what those two think of the potential options. Clearly, Luis Enrique is a, is a very high profile candidate. Pochettino comes with with certain advantages too, namely that he would be uh, free to a point, <laughs> which is a price that Chelsea are not accustomed to paying recently. But it it will ultimately be, I think, down to those two guys to form a judgment of who would be best to, to coach this group of players and then they will make a recommendation to Boley and Egg Barley and, and, and the final decision will come from there. Liam, is it true that De Zerbi's in the mix as well? <laughs> we don't know that for sure, but it, it would be too funny, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> and, and, not for and Brighton, would be, Not for Brighton, certainly. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's already been suggestions that De Zerbi has some sort of release clause in his Brighton contract that only kicks in in the summer. Um, so I, I don't think that would be one for now at the very least. He, he's done an amazing job at Brighton building on Graham Potter's foundations, but it would raise the question of why didn't Todd Bowley and Badade Bali just buy Brighton? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Liam Toomey there. Here's Whitaker Walk who says, 
If Chelsea had shown more patience with Tuchel last September, he'd likely still be managing them. Nagelsmann probably would still be with Bayern. And Potter would still be at Brighton. But where would De Zerbi be, asks Whitaker Wall. I mean, the decision to replace Tuchel with Potter is one that people are going back to a lot. There's a lot of suggestions as well that it wasn't entirely a footballing decision to let Tuchel go. Uh, was bringing Potter in in the first place the real mistake here? Uh, I think if, you, if you're a club like Chelsea and you either embrace that you're in a long-term, middle-to-long-term project or you bring uh, a big name and they did neither. You know, they, they just stood in the in between. They gave him a five year contract and then they ended in a, in a few months. So they really need to get this right, because we need to have a clearer picture of what Chelsea really wants beside titles, because you have all these players and you have these options as managers. And I'm, we were talking about Nagelsmann and I'd be very curious to see. Uh, what Nagelsmann learned from his Bayern Munich experience, be especially dealing with uh, big names in the dressing room. Because with Luis Enrique, for example, you have the finished product. You know exactly what you're going to get. It's very clear his, his football vision, his temper, his ideas. And with Nagelsmann, it's not that it's not clear. Of course it is, but it, it is different. And besides... Can you imagine the Twitch lives that you would get with, <laughs> with Liz and Hickey? I'm, I'm in for that. I'm totally in for that. Okay, your team, Enrique. Daniel, where do you stand and how much sympathy do you have for Graham Potter, a man who even with the likes of Enzo Fernandez, Jean Felix, uh, Mudrik, even with the wing-backs, Chilwell and, and, and Rhys James back, even with Kante returning, wasn't able to, wasn't able to get past a, a 2-0 defeat at home to Villa. No, and he there were mistakes made on his part. There's no doubt about that. And his reputation will suffer temporarily as a result. And I think probably in the in the more medium to long term in terms of getting a, a big, big job. But you can't just throw... There are several Premier League clubs over the last few years who prove that you can't just... The owners always talk about a vision. They always say the word vision over and over again as if like that just saying the word makes it true. It's not a magic spell. You actually have to commit to that in a cohesive way and you appoint a manager who in his career managerial career before Chelsea had managed two players who had cost 20 million pounds which was Enoch and Wuepu at Brighton and Andre Ayo at Swansea Chelsea have got three 20 million pound players plus on loan out this season he's got about 20 in the squad like he isn't a fit for that unless you make him a fit for that and by just throwing money at players and saying well Obviously, this is going to come together at some point. It might do, but that, that was my argument to Liam. If, if, you, if that's all you want, you get, get a manager who manages egos. Don't get a tactician because if all you're going to do is throw players together and you, you're saying there's, there's such a wealth of talent that it will work eventually, what you want is those players to be happy. And clearly, they didn't sound like they were that impressed with Potter. So go and try and get a Zidane or a, someone to manage egos. Luis Enrique might be the person at middle ground between that, but it doesn't sound like they've got a vision. It sounds like, they say they've got a vision, and that's not the same thing. Sasha, do you want to talk about Villa, by the way? Uh, we'll mention Villa as well. I just want to say about Potter, I think maybe in his situation, he was a man perhaps overwhelmed by options because we can see so much chopping and changing. He's clearly a guy with a lot of ideas about football, and he's probably looking at it like, I can play 40 different combinations here. And we see like crazy things, like, you know, Ziyech playing right wing back, although maybe he was trying to teach Ziyech a lesson, like, for example, when he was disastrously at Spurs. Um, but I think... 
you could see that gradually he was kind of he was being worn down by the situation. He was being worn down every time being asked when are you getting sacked. And I think, as I, as I said previously, I think for a club like Chelsea, you kind of have a normal guy. And Potter is very, very, very normal. You need that extra character, I think, there that perhaps maybe Potter doesn't have yet. Interesting to see what will happen to him because perhaps a similar thing that happened to Brendan Rodgers. Rodgers, you know, was promoted from Swansea to Liverpool. Three seasons there, but, you know, it, it fell apart quite dramatically. He rebuilt himself, of course. We'll get on to what's happening with him now. Perhaps a step down before step back, step back up. Um, but I think, overall, I, I st- I'm still not sold on the timing of this because what are they trying to achieve unless they're really bringing someone in? Because the league season is dead and they have quite a few good teams to play still, but there's nothing to do there. They're 12 points off the top four. But there's nothing they can do in the league and they still have seven of the top eight to play. Mm. They're not going to get like anywhere near the top four. So he could Champions pro- League. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to save the Champions League. They, exactly. But so they looked at it and they went, so this guy who just batted Borussia Dortmund pretty comprehensively over two legs mm-hmm. has no chance against uh, Real Madrid. Well, not many teams have a chance against Real Madrid. And I don't know, I was... I was really pro-continuity here because to give him maybe an extra seven, ten days to train, to prepare rather than, uh, maybe, okay, maybe his assistant will do a similar thing now, but I just think the timing is really odd. Okay. Let's talk about Aston Villa. 2-0 winners at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. Chelsea had 27 shots, though. They didn't play badly by many metrics, particularly the XG, which Graham Potter was mentioning uh, post-game. Were Villa lucky here? No, it's the story of the season for Chelsea. They create chances. We know they create chances. We know they have, I don't know, 53 attacking players uh, in the squad, but they just don't take the chances. And they have a lot of talent and they were good uh, against Villa. You, you are right, but they're not efficient. So so that, that was the, the same story just done again. Mm. I tell you who is efficient, Daniel, eh? Ollie Watkins. Yeah, that was the story of the game for me. It was a, a team that have a, an incredibly efficient striker, particularly away from home, against a team that create a lot of chances at home and don't finish them. Ollie Watkins, I think, I think it was Opta that said, I think it's, it's October was the last time he didn't yeah. score or assist in an away game, which is ridiculous. He is, he's the second best English striker at the moment. He's he's better than even Tony, which is incredible because even Tony is brilliant. But Watkins is slightly unfashionable, I think, but a fantastic, fantastic mover into space, a finisher, and he creates chances as well. He's brilliant at the moment. Well, I think the success of Watkins is obviously, a lot, a lot of it I think is down to Emery because he's a function of the system. They play very compact and defensively, and as they did against Chelsea, I think they were pretty, pretty good defending. And then to have the ball in the breakaway, always has that option. I mean, even before you know his goal, he had a brilliant touch in the seventh minute to take through. I mean, he screwed it wide. One of the top three touches of the weekend. So he really fits into that system. He's also helped by the fact that Chelsea... Chelsea did make mistakes at the back, especially Kepa getting caught for the first. But I think overall with Emery, look, they had five shots, two on target. Yeah, that is the crossbar from McGinn. Four chances, and as you said, efficient. What about McGinn? You were talking about Watkins' success, mm-hmm. function of Emery's yeah. uh, coaching. McGinn ran that mid- midfield. I mean, I don't know how... Again, he's one of those players. He's like a solid Premier League pro. Mm-hmm. Yet here he was up against Enzo Kovacic, and he bossed him. Yeah. And it's, again, I don't quite understand how he coached him into this, but he's understanding where he should be whether he should be the furthest back for the corner when it comes out and to score it and or whether to dominate that midfield. I thought his, his appreciation of what he needs to do is extraordinary at the moment. Yeah, Ru Lang making the point that Kovacic called him his hardest opponent uh, and that McGinn's picked up maybe three player of the matches in his last four games under Emery. Remarkable. What, what, what a goal though, Daniel. What a goal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my basic theory is that if you have a manager who you don't feel like you're getting enough coaching instruction from in, in Steven Gerrard, and then you get a high-class coach in, and Villa were lucky to appoint Unai Emery, 
from what he's done over the last five years versus where Villa have been over the last five years. And it just looked like it's given everyone a lift and suddenly you want to impress a coach like that. That looks like exactly what's happening. Mm. And ironically, his goal was very Gerard-esque. Yeah, nice, nice. Oh, speaking of irony, uh, who was the man who Leicester always considered as Roger's successor if he became available? Graham Potter. And he is now very much available. Were he to be picked up by the Foxes, it would be really neat because... Who do Leicester face next? Aston Villa. Do you remember when Dean Smith? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, Leicester, of course, looking for a new manager after deciding that they and Brendan Rodgers were no longer uh, a viable option. We'll get on to the whys and wherefores of that next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners, and whether there'll be a red card, then use Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre built quick bet options. Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and here we go again. Chelsea sacked Graham Potter on Sunday night, leaving the club looking for their third manager of the Todd Bowley era already. So join myself and the athletics experts in the field on the Athletic Football Podcast this week as we tell you the inside story of how it all unravelled for Potter and who Chelsea may turn to next. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. We could have kind of done with no football this weekend, couldn't we? Because there's, there's loads of really good football, and yet the manager stuff is is definitely dominating. Well, indeed, Daniel. Should we pick up? Should we talk first of all about some of that football and the remarkable re-debut, if you will, of Hodgson? on the Eagles bench. They had 31 shots. Where did that come from? Where? Where, know. Daniel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, as I say, I was away this weekend, but watched, we were in this bar that basically had every Premier League game on. Where were you, Daniel? Uh, Faro, on the Portuguese coast. Oh, nice. And um, What were you doing yeah, there? And, uh, just sort of drinking till we dropped, um, and now I've dropped. Um, but yeah, no, I mean... That game was kind of on in the corner because the Forest game was on and we had an Arsenal fan. You know, we, we, people were concentrating on other games than Palace Leicester. But every time you looked up in the first half, Palace were attacking and having a shot. So we, then we just sort of looked at the stats at half time. We had 21 first half shots versus none for Leicester. And yeah, and, and then what happened is exactly what we all said would happen, which is Leicester will grab a goal and, you know, that's life. But then they, you know, they came back and Hodgson clearly has given them a steal there. I don't think it would have worked at any other club than Palace, but that's why they went for him because they thought exactly the same and clearly has upped the game of their creativity. They still don't finish their chances, which they didn't in the in the main part, but a striker actually scored as well in stoppage mm. time. So 
Yeah, I think I think they're probably safe, which is a ridiculous thing to say given we thought they might go down a week ago. All right, Jean-Philippe Mateta, who'd previously gone 20 Premier League appearances without a goal, popping up with that wonderful the best touch, touch of the weekend mm. the best touch of the weekend the way because he also you know spoke after the game because he knew that the ball's going to get drilled into him but the way he caressed it i think yeah with his right hand to finish with his left it was just it was beautifully done and again you know subs worked in this game because it was an ass, an ass assist from ayu but the guy who ran the game was obviously eze and eze had a very strange time as of late under Vieira. he wasn't really playing very much it was on the bench against Liverpool, but here everything went through him. The free kick off the bar that came off the goalkeeper was his as well. Obviously, this is someone who Hodgson knew from before because he has coached. You know, he he brought him through, and it, it, this is I think back to Dom's point. Um, Dom Fife of the point that he was making on Thursday. This is a guy who knows the club. This is a guy who knows the players, and also like I couldn't um, resist. And at halftime, same as same as Daniel, um, I I messaged uh, Dom, and he said, uh, you know, what's going on? He said the Roy effect, expansive attacking football at its best. And leave the goals late for dramatic effect. And it's just like perfect. So all the questions about reappointing uh, Hodgson now have evaporated. And have they? Just work. Have they? What? As Daniel was saying a week ago, we thought Palace were going down. Now he's saying they're staying up. They're only four points above the drop. What did he do during his break? Did he reinvent himself <laughs> as a manager? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. became cryogenic this chamber. New, yeah. Yes, this new Guardiola Klopp. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Uh, it's crazy because we are talking, and let's 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 remember that we're talking about the team who went I don't know how many matches, three, four, without a shot on target, right. and now we are talking about a, a team who who had thirty three, thirty one, thirty one, nine yeah. on target, 31. but they also had. Uh, a twenty, a plus twenty-eight shot difference, which is the biggest by any Premier League team in any game this season. No, and they had more pace. The transitions were better. Uh, the movements from the attacking players, they, they were all working, and it's it's just it was like a, a whole different team. And when you think about uh, when Roy came back to to Crystal Palace, I was I was the first one to say, okay, what what do they want? Because uh, Vieira was supposed to be the attacking manager, mm. and they weren't creating anything. They were flat. Nothing was happening at Crystal Palace, and that, I, I think they saved it all to to Roy Hodgson. And I think it's interesting as well because I compared it to the game. Um, there was a nil nil between these two in back in October, and it's virtually the same Palace team. Couldn't play at all. It was an absolutely dreadful game. But with the coach's appointment as well, I think what works out really well, Palace have the easiest run-in of everybody. Uh, and the next five games, all of April, they're playing the bottom nine. Right. So, and as we all know, and they mentioned the match of the day, has a really good record against these. He wins two more games. They're safe. Okay. I, it was exciting uh, on the weekend, but I, I, I kind of feel that it's going to be back to lock it down football from probably yeah. the trip to Leeds this weekend. Should also say, I don't think I've ever... I can't remember ever watching a performance from a team that said, we think our manager's going to get sacked if we don't play very well in this game. And Leicester were absolutely terrible. I mean, they, they, they barely tried to attack and were completely incapable of defending. There was almost no midfield. And that we're going to talk about it in a minute, but that's not a bad football team. It's a team that's got more talent in it than Crystal Palace's and they were absolutely abject. Mm. And we, we, are you suggesting, Daniel, that they were actively looking? Well, I mean, the end for, for Rodgers has been coming for 18 months now, I think. Um, I think we'll probably hear about that soon. But yeah, it's a it's been a steady decline and the, the kind of diatribe of the, the home support, the kind of pretty vitriolic, reactions to Rodgers for the the last two or three times I've been there over the last four or five six weeks maybe yeah this has been coming for a long time and 
yeah, it was the, the worst performance I've seen from a Premier League team this season, I think. Crikey. Well, let's speak to the Athletics' Rob Tanner, author of 5001, The Leicester City Story, about a happier chapter in the Fox's recent past, who joins us now. Daniel was just mentioning the crowd seemed quite happy to see the back of him and possibly the players too. What's your take on that? I, th- I think it's with a heavy heart that um, they've made this decision. Um, there was a number of fans that wanted him out and they made their feelings known again at the end of the Palace defeat. Obviously, everything was raw. You, you've just conceded a, a last second goal uh, to condemn you to another defeat. It felt like it was just continually the case that they were going into these games, coming out with nothing. So something had to give. And it felt like Brendan had tried everything in terms of his personnel, in terms of tactically, in terms of motivationally. So there was only one uh, thing that the club could do to try and address the slide, and that was to make the decision. So whilst the fan base was torn, there was some that still thought there's no better option out there. There was certainly a number that wanted this change to happen. But I would, I, I would suggest that a lot of those fans would still acknowledge that it's been an incredible ride under Brendan and the success they've enjoyed, the European tours they've had, the FA Cup, the day at Wembley, winning the Community Shield, challenging him for the top four, which is incredible for a club of Leicester size. So I still think it's, you know, with regret, but I, I, I think you can still acknowledge his achievements, but also accept that perhaps it was the only course of action left for Leicester City. And the players, they will be torn as well. There will be players like James Madison who have flourished under him. Uh, but there are players like Yannick Vestergaard who have seen their careers and, and Charles Sunsu who have seen their careers hit a brick wall under him. So, um, again, it will be a, a divide there. But I think they've all shared in the success. Uh, first team coach Adam Sadler and goalkeeper coach Mike Stoll are in temporary charges. Adam Sadler, not Adam Sandler, as I might have previously understood, <laughs> dis- disappointingly. Who, who, who's likely, do you think, to be in the club's long-term plans? Well, they've always admired Graham Potter. Right. They've, they've always had a succession plan in place, for, not just for players, but for managers as well. And Brendan certainly was the top of the list when they decided to get rid of Claude Powell. But what um, Graham Potter achieved at Brighton, that always was on their radar. Thomas Frank at Brentford, what he's achieved, that was always on their radar. I know that Graham Potter is available now. A strange twist of fate on a, a really bizarre afternoon in the Premier League. Um, but it still might be difficult to get him in in the short term. I mean, we don't know uh, what the compensation package he's negotiated with Chelsea, whether he would stand to lose a lot of money if he immediately uh, got into his next job. Um, That's something Potter would have to weigh up, but certainly Leicester would be very interested in him. There's other names that are available that are less complicated to bring in. I mean, Rafa Benitez has been mentioned. Adi Hooter, the former Russian Munchen Gladbach, um, coach as well. He's somebody else that um, I've heard mentioned as well. So there's a number of candidates. It all depends whether Leicester decide on getting a short-term fix to keep them in the Premier League now and then look to the future in the summer or they get they believe they've got the right man now and just run with it. Yeah, uh, that that's exactly what I was going to ask you, Rob. Uh, how much of a priority is it for Leicester right now to get uh, a manager quickly, considering they're they're in the relegation zone? And what are they thinking in terms of you know solutions, short term, mid term? 
<clears throat> well, they've, they've really got to assess who's available. I, let, let, I've got to emphasise, they didn't want to do this. This isn't part of a plan. This isn't something they, they decided. Because if they were going to do it as a strategy, they would have done it in the international break when we should have given them more time to bring somebody in. This is basically a, a realisation that, hang on a second, this isn't going to change unless we change it. So they don't have somebody lined up. They have names in mind, but it's whether they can get them, whether they're achievable. And that's what they're going to find out in the next few days. So it's a gamble, actually, to to, to get rid of Brendan at this stage. Uh, but they think it was the only uh, only course of action for them. So those names I've mentioned, they will, they will be exploring them, see who's available, who they can bring in. But they need to bring somebody in very, very fast. They've got back-to-back home games this week. Mike Stowell is taking charge as a caretaker for the fifth time. So he's, he knows what to do in these situations. Um, he's been at the club a long, long time, the goalkeeping coach. Uh, Adam Sadler was also um, uh, the, in temporary charge with Mike uh, before Brendan came in. And they, they had a victory against Brighton. So they've experienced the bounce then. Uh, so they'll be hoping for a bounce against Aston Villa uh, on Tuesday night. Mm. But then they got Bournemouth at the weekend. How recoverable do you think this situation is, given the squad they've got? Their bottom three, as Natalie says, one point from safety at the moment uh, in there with Everton, who play Monday night against Spurs and, and Saints as well. Well, there's still 30 points to play for. It's still 10 games. There's still a quarter of the season to go, so there still is time. I mean, a, a lot of fans were debating whether it's too late to make a change now, it's never too late. We experienced this in 14-15 when Leicester were bottom of the table and with nine games to go, they went on an incredible run, won seven of them uh, and they got themselves out of trouble with a game to spare. So they know it's achievable. They've seen it. They've experienced it. Um, So that's why they made this decision now, I believe. Excellent. Rob, thank you so much for being with us and uh, yeah, good luck with your week. Thank you very much. Rob Tanner there. Daniel, how, how nervous are you for Forrest seeing these these changes going on around you? Yeah, we're, Forrest are sort of the exception in that um, pretty much every other one of these clubs, as, as Rob just said, they didn't want to have to make the sacking. They made the sacking because it came, whereas at Forest it feels like the opposite in that the owner, the owner really does want to make a sacking. <laughs> but the, the fans have repeatedly shown their support for Steve Cooper because they think he's been dealt a pretty ordinary hand in all of this and and again as we've said about the other managers he's not blameless and no manager is blameless they all make mistakes there's no such thing as perfection um but yeah we are sort of the exception and yet I do think if if we lose at Leeds on Tuesday night that they will probably <laughs> ridiculously do that and the, and the farce of the whole situation is that Steve Cooper then immediately goes in the conversation for Leicester and maybe even Spurs jobs as well really yeah, I think so. I think he, he's very well thought of in terms of a coach, particularly with young players. But we've just said it about Chelsea. It's quite hard to get 30 players and make them look like a cohesive team when you've just got promoted. So do you think it helped Steve Cooper that, you know, Marinakis could scratch the sacking itch by just sacking mo- most of Olympiacos managers in the meantime? Um, if you look at your, the, your games in April, uh, so after Leeds, you have Villa, United, Liverpool, Brighton and Brentford. That could realistically yield a couple of points. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think we're going down, Yeah, if I'm brutally honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have been saying that. My pessimism has sort of mildly turned into realism, but it still ends in the same conclusion, which is that I think we're going down. Yeah, we've got a horrible fixture list, still got to play Arsenal, Man United and Brighton at home, as you say, and home is where we're only getting the points. But if they do get something at Leeds on Tuesday night, then suddenly they look at it and think, well, maybe the games aren't a write-off. Um, Palace away on the final day as well, which could be could be monumental what Forrest need is for the, some of those teams they're playing to 
basically go into kind of flip-flop season where there's not an awful amount to play for. That could help with some of those. You know, some of those clubs that have done very well this season but might just be on the outside of everything by then. But that's a very positive spin. The Athletic ran a piece this week looking at some underlying figures like XGD, which is expected goal difference, and for some reason is seen to be key. Anyway, they ran the numbers and they have Everton, Bournemouth and Saints going down. Great Daniel. news. Let's do it. Very briefly, I think that, that the thing that will define this relegation battle, and it's something that Forrest and Leicester are the worst at so far, is holding on to leads, making the most of those situations where they come across, because all those teams will lose away games, some of them quite heavily. But Forrest have dropped 18 points, and I think Leicester have dropped 22 points from winning positions this season. That's the difference. You'll never be perfect, but that's the difference between mid-table mid and then that relegation group. And you just can't afford to let those opportunities slip between your fingers. Well, Forrest currently 15th, but the situation's so very fluid down that end of things. We'll touch more on the relegation battle a little bit later on. But uh, next up, how about we do Man City-Liverpool? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. On it goes. De Bruyne's in the area. Looking up for the right pass. Grealish. Magnificent. You'll not see a better team goal than that. Man City 4, Liverpool 1, Saturday lunchtime. Both Sasha and Natalie were there. Uh, Liverpool opening the scoring through Mo Salah. Man City making it 1-1 at half-time. And then what happened, Natalie? Then Man City pulled a Man City and just... Uh, the, the first half was very exciting. Uh, it was really enjoyable. Uh, from a neutral point of view, I was loving it. And I, I wanted 90 minutes of it. And then we just get perfect Man City on second half. And of course, we have to talk about Jack Grealish because after the match, I was talking to a friend uh, about how how much he turned into a Guardiola player. 
because he's always thinking about the full picture. And we knew Jack Relish was uh, skillful and good in one-on-ones, but now we see him running on the pitch and thinking about the team all the time. And it's just, it's fascinating. With like We, we knew about the skills, the abilities, and now he, he looks much smarter. He looks so much more clever because he sees everything that's happening and he's always connected to the rest of the team. And this is a Guardiola player. Mm. Sasha, Natalie enjoyed the game. How about you? I enjoyed the first half tremendously as well because I thought that Liverpool did a lot better than I expected in the Mm. first half. Um, And this is despite the fact that they were faced with quite a bit of pressure from Manchester City. I thought what what City did really well, and I thought this was fascinating, the way it's coming back, they're playing WM. Mm-hmm. which is a formation from the 20s to the 50s. But it gives them so much extra players when they get forward. So that front line of five against four Liverpool defenders meant that Grealish or Mares on the other side always had the space to receive the ball. And I think this is, probably we'll get onto that, but this is why Trent felt so exposed because once the dominoes collapse on one side, for example, the first goal, Robertson is out of position, the whole thing goes down, then Trent doesn't even know who to mark. But I thought that overall Liverpool in the first half did quite well. Uh, in terms of holding City back, very efficiently took advantage of the one chance, um, really one big chance that they had with a brilliant ball from Trent uh, to Jota eventually Sarskos. And then, of course, the Grealish track back, which I think almost he gets man of the match just for that <laughs> rather than everything else that he did because he stopped that counter from Liverpool and City scored a minute later. And then what happens in the second half, something that we sadly have seen from Liverpool against uh, big teams already this season, Real Madrid twice, for example. They come out second half, they can see the quick goal, and they fold. So basically, this is a team that currently has a bit of a glass jaw. Maybe physically they can't do it anymore. But I think one thing that sort of I think we, I kind of used to laugh at when foreign managers first came to the Premier League, they talked about suffering. And you're like, what? But this is exactly what Liverpool are incapable of at the moment. They're incapable of sitting there under the pressure, keeping their composure and striking back. Even a year ago, they could do this. A year ago against Manchester City, Manchester City battered them in the first half. They came out second half, scored immediately and through a superhuman effort in 15 minutes came back into the game. This team can't do it anymore. This was also, I think, the first time deliberately or otherwise that that Klopp has intimated post-game, not just a kind of weariness with the situation, but a weariness with some of the players. Up till now, he's sort of intimated that this is a situation that is has been kind of inflicted on Liverpool or is happening to them rather than them being a, a willing or unwilling participant. Who, who do you think he's and, got in mind there, Daniel? I honestly don't know, but generally, generally managers in these situations are much quicker to call out senior players um, than they are new players to the club. So I suspect the spine of that team, the Van Dijk, Fabinho, maybe Salah as well, although probably not Salah on Saturday, given Liverpool really didn't create that much and, and Salah took that chance. I think there's a, as Sash says, there was no response. And, and until now, Klopp has kind of said, well, that's because of fatigue and that's because of, you know, we're, we're mentally knackered and because of the fixture schedule and because of this and that. And this was the first time he's kind of said, yeah, but you do also kind of need to meet the situation halfway if you're going to attack it. You can't just kind of invite all of this onto you and then hope to deal with it. And Liverpool didn't really do that second half. I thought it was interesting, Klopp's press conference after the match, how specific he was regarding the players who, who performed well, because he said um, four performances were OK, four. OK, and, and he named them. Mm. He was like Hendo, Fab, Fabinho, uh, Cody and Alisson. The, the rest, okay, just really? go, yes, just go to your rooms and think about what you did. You know, I, I thought it was interesting because he usually doesn't do that. And Liverpool against Man City was the second half was another example of how they either go on full gear, 
7-0 Man United or they just fall apart. It just you can't find anything in between. And and this is really intriguing. Maybe it's because they were always such a an intense team that they they can't find this in between or because they were such a strong collective that they can when one thing fall, falls apart everything else falls apart. But it's it's been it's been like that the whole season. With fatigue a big factor. So it's a good thing they've got a nice easy week ahead of them. A eh, Sasha. Yeah, this this was quite a week to <laughs> come back into and I, they do feel at the moment like a team who probably needs like a two-month retreat on Mount Fuji so they've you know, got training three open games, air and all, and three like, games yeah. in the next eight days they've got Chelsea at Sanford Bridge on Tuesday be interesting to yeah. see what kind of games that's going to be then Arsenal and then Leeds after that they actually have a relatively decent run-in so I think they can if they get through this week without too much even psychological damage they can sort of Crawl to the finishing line. I but think crawl Ch- to the finishing line it way be way, way outside of the top four. I think you know now it's currently eight points. I, I yeah, kind of again look, a hell of a dream. Yeah, Ash, you know, you, no, the finishing line. Your dream is sort of say, limping yeah. to the end of the uh, season. I want the season <laughs> to end. I'll be totally honest. Uh, this this season needs to end asap. But you know, I think Man United, Newcastle get onto Newcastle looks very impressive as well. They're too far ahead. I can't see them dropping enough points. I can't see Liverpool picking up enough points. And I think also in terms of weariness, I think when you were that good for this long. Mm. And now you get be getting battered for three months on a regular basis. Your chin would go down. And I've seen this happen to Trent, like a very good example. But then also this system works when the players help each other. For, for example, the first half Trent against Grish did okay because Elliot was helping him. Third goal, uh, no, fourth goal, sorry, for, for City. Trent's left on his own against Grish and, and Kevin De Bruyne. That is not so much you can do that. It's just right. a breakdown of the system. So, yeah, uh, someone needs to come. People need to go and relax somewhere. People need to come back somehow refreshed. But, yeah, currently this is a very, very tired squad. Okay. City keeping the pressure on Arsenal, meanwhile. No Erling Haaland in this game, but some people even suggesting that's why they played so well in the, the second half. That debate continues to rage. Julian Alvarez, uh, one thing's for sure, a very worthy substitute. Yeah, I think it's more that the, we don't have to do it as a, a black or white, which is better. It's that sometimes variation can work because it provides a surprise to an opponent. Uh, I think we all expect his Harlings pulling out of the international break to be a kind of classic, we'll keep him fit for the running. But it worked in this regard because it did it did seem to surprise Liverpool, the, um, the sheer amount of variety of movement in that penalty area. I think Van Dijk was probably thinking, I'll take Haaland and you deal with the rest. And that couldn't happen. And I think now we have kind of like two Man Cities that are more established. You have the Man City Holland version with the striker and the the, the reference up front, mm. and that that works really really well as we saw so many times. And we have the the Man City that we got used to seeing in the past two three seasons. That is the Man City who played Liverpool. So. It's an interesting variation. A tale of two cities, tale. you might even say, <laughs> Natalie. One thing that didn't get mentioned, um, and I, obviously it took me about 24 hours before I could go back and rewatch the game. The second goal for City, Kevin De Bruyne is two, three yards behind the line of Liverpool when the ball's played out, out wide to Marius. So therefore, the Liverpool centre-backs, and I think in this case it was Van Dijk, who was a bit further up, they're trying to track back against a player who already has a head start on them. So again, this is my sort of fundamental misunderstanding of the offside rule. How far behind the back line does he have to be? 15 yards on the edge of the box next to Allison, because he's either off or he's interfering or he's not interfering. Mm. But he is then in an advantageous position to convert. Right. And I thought this was like, again, I was surprised this wasn't mentioned on any of, of the punditry or anything like it, because he is, 
he does have a head start. Right. Liverpool would have still lost, I think, but it's just that little moment just irked me a little bit. I think it's a deliberate ploy now. So I think yeah, it's yeah, they're, they're running in. Now. Yeah. I don't know if it's directly related to the the Marcus Rashford incident again in the in the Manchester derby, but that is repeatedly now not being given as an offside, a player standing beyond the line, but not being the one that gets the ball until the next phase of the move. So why wouldn't it be an advantage if you can stand in an offside position, but it not be offside? But by virtue of your presence, draw other players out of... But well, it's, it's not just that, you're just there, closer to the goal. I mean, mm. I think if this was Allardyce, he'd have someone in the D. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get him to Leicester, let's see. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, Arsenal, though, eh? Seven wins in a row in the league for the Gunners. First team in the Premier League to achieve a, a run of that magnitude this season. It's their best under Mikel Arteta. Also saw the return of their big goal scorer, Granit Xhaka. <laughs> and Gabriel Jesus returned too. That was nice. Natalie? It was definitely nice. And I think it's great news for Arsenal fans because uh, we've seen so many times how much of a difference it makes for Gabriel Jesus when he starts scoring. He really capitalizes on that. And when it doesn't happen, we've seen it as well. Like in, in the World Cup in Russia in 2018, and he spoke about it openly, that he got really affected by, by not scoring in the World Cup. And then he, he just struggled at Man City for half a season. And we've seen uh, the positive when he started at Arsenal and he's, he was just scoring goals uh, match after match. And, and he just felt much more confident. So it's great news for Arsenal fans. And it's great news to see Gabriel Jesus recovering, coming back from a tough injury. Uh, because he's he's such a good professional, you know. He's one of those examples. You can ask anyone who worked with Gabriel Jesus how much of a, a, a great guy to work with he mm. is. He's very professional. He's very dedicated. So it's great news. All the Brazilian players, according to you, Natalie, are really nice people and it's great professionals. It's just a coincidence. I don't know. <laughs> is there yeah. one? Tell us about the yes. dickheads. Yeah, come on. <laughs> we are great beach. people. Sorry. <laughs> Leaves leads. Just goal difference above the bottom three. It's so tight down that end. You've got everyone from well, West Ham in 14th down to Leicester in 19th, separated by just two points. That's six teams. Southampton aren't out of it either. They're only three points from safety. Palace, only four points above the drop. I mean, any number of teams down there. But two big victories down that end of the table this weekend. Uh, West Ham, they're... 1-0 win over Southampton Sunday lunchtime, but also Bournemouth. Bournemouth beating Fulham 2-1. Sasha, you, you, you're waving fingers in the air over this. Why? Just such a transformation from the first half to the second for Bournemouth. And um, and this was curious because I was looking at the lineup thinking, this is a bit weird. Um, and then uh, what he did at halftime, Gary O'Neill, this was interesting because they were like, what do you say to the lads? And then everyone kind of went on about the subs. Um, but they just reverted to the system with which they kind of did really well against uh, Fulham in the first game um, in October. And Tavernier eventually could see them, gave, gave them the bit of width, you know, even aside from the absolute worldy that he scored. And suddenly, and I, but I thought the key player there was Christie because suddenly Christie was, there was someone next to Billing doing all the work. And then again, the third best touch of the weekend when he kind of um, gets away to, um, in the run to the second goal. Right, so the first, the best touch of the weekend was Mateta taking Mateta, that ball on the yeah. turn. And what was number two for you? Uh, number two for me was, let me just find it, sorry, oh, I forgot. And, uh, number two was Watkins, yeah. Watkins okay. against Villa. Right. And this is three Christie. He kind of gets himself away down the inside left channel, uh -huh. shoots, I think it gets saved, and Solanke bundles it in. Right. Uh, but it was, it was really, really nicely done. And against Solanke, the guy who doesn't score four Premier League goals this season, scored against um, Fulham last time as well. And again, Team Ream doesn't know what to do with him. He absolutely destroys Team Ream every time he plays. 
place. So I thought the transformation was hugely important. Where, where, where would you have in your list of touches, Marcus Tavenius? Uh, well, you see, touches that put the ball in the net. Um, oh, that I see that. That's a different one. It's just okay. a really shots, unbelievable call. Shots. I prefer shots. touches, yeah. Shots. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, it's a little bit, I think we said a few weeks ago on this show, kind of Bournemouth would potentially flourish in that window of they're the only ones down there who kind of everyone had written off, even though they were basically level on points of everyone else at worst. And it's quite selfish that Bournemouth have sort of kicked on because all of other, other clubs were sort of banking on them being, oh, it's Southampton, Bournemouth, and then one more. For them to suddenly kick on is it's pretty poor form, in my opinion. We needed a couple down there. I think they'll be absolutely fine now because Solanke's flying. They bought those wingers in January. They're one of the only clubs down there who bought in January but bought with a plan. Right. Uh, uh, Danny, everyone else. Yeah, you're calling Bournemouth as absolutely fine. I know why you're doing it as a Forest fan. I completely yes, get <laughs> Yeah. And by the my way... One of Jinx's is, 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 <laughs> is unstoppable at the moment, so... Producer Charlie, I'm not saying he wasn't paying attention to that, but he's just come up with the fact that today is Gabriel Jesus' birthday. Look at that. Yeah. Well, parabéns. 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 Excellent. And West Ham, are they staying up too? What, after that 1-0 over Saints? Did you catch this one out the corner of your eye in that Faro no, I was home den? by then. Well, yeah, I was okay. home on the sofa by then. You would have been asleep otherwise. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a slightly tallest dwarf competition, if I'm honest. Um, Southampton were really poor. West Ham just about had enough. They didn't make the mistake that a couple of sides made at the weekend, which is not finishing your chances uh, and therefore killing off the game. They held on. Um, Southampton are one of those now who are just... They're just not winning the games against teams around them, which they need to do. They've played really well against against Spurs and against Man United recently, but they're just not quite picking up enough points against the teams around them. And I think they probably are one of those. I'm prepared to put one team down, James. They're not safe. Southampton, I think, will go down. Hmm. Um, they're just not... They, they The reverse of Bournemouth. Bournemouth bought in January the plan. They bought a huge number of players in January and they're just not... None of them are really making a difference. Milan Orsic came in and has not played many games. Paul Anuachu came in and was on the bench again yesterday. It doesn't quite seem like they know what to do with all these new players. All right. The Athletics computer, as I mentioned, has Everton, Bournemouth and Saints in the bottom three come the end of the season. We'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But a couple of other games that we should discuss before we wrap it up today. Outstanding matches uh, that they were, and that's Man United's clash with Newcastle United and also the Brentford-Brighton affair. Woof. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Totally Football Show European Edition is back on Tuesday, uh, featuring woof, the De Classica, which saw Thomas Tuchel debuting on the Bayern bench to good effect. 3-0 up after 23 minutes against Borussia Dortmund, his own club. Shocking goalkeeping, though, helped. Well, yeah. <laughs> it well, wasn't even goalkeeping. It, it was, was, it was missing ball. Yeah, it was non-goalkeeping. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway, more on that with Raphael Honigstein. We'll have James Horncastle on the shock result in Serie A Sunday night where Milan went to Naples and beat Napoli 4-0 10 days ahead of those two teams meeting in an all-Italian Champions League quarterfinal. Very interesting. Paris Saint-Germain lost again. So if you like hearing about that kind of thing, join us for Tuesday's uh, Totally Football Show European edition. Speaking of Europe, uh, check out the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. That's out on Monday. And they'll be discussing many things, the incredible title race in the WSL, but also the fact that we've got two English sides in the semi-finals of the Champions League for the first time ever. This after Chelsea put out holders Leon with penalties Thursday night and Arsenal beat Bayern. All right. Uh, I thought Chelsea did remarkably well to go through this one. I mean, they were dead and buried. Um, and it's literally last attack, drawing a very tired... Um, challenge from a defender winning the penalty and then obviously carrying on to win the shootout but I thought uh, Lauren James uh, Rhys James's sister is absolutely excellent she's such a good player very nice alright more of that on Monday's uh, Athletic Women's Football Podcast back to the Premier League for us Newcastle 2 Man United nil, and that Brighton 3 Brentford 3 affair ok Sasha you're calling that the game of the round and possibly of the year so far talk about Brighton forever to be honest and also this game as well I mean obviously there's the history between the owners and I think there's so many similarities you know mm. building the stadium statistical use of you know information again statistics showed them two different ways of how to play football and in a way also similar to um, the game in October when uh, Brentford actually won 2-0 but got battered by Brighton but again took all their chances felt like in this game they took all their chances and more I mm. mean Brighton 33 shots 33 15 shots. on targets there were stages of the game where they just couldn't get out at all Brentford so they had 33 shots we had Palace earlier with 31, 31. shots mm. Chelsea had 27 27 what yeah. was happening this weekend <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a really good question actually and the, and the game was decided with a penalty yeah in the last uh, minute yes with McAllister actually uh, McAllister said something uh, I thought it was kind of funny uh, after the match he was like I love to take penalties in the World Cup I wanted to take a penalty but Scaloni decided not to pick me and I felt so <laughs> bad for him because first you play for Argentina you're never going to get a penalty Messi is getting all the penalties and then you go to the penalty shootout it's the final France packed stadium and then he chooses and then I, I went to, to look it up Messi of course Dybala who barely played in the World Cup no no he barely played don't look at me like that I'm <laughs> It only, take, it only takes Brazilian athletes yeah. to criticize Argentina for winning the World Cup. Paredes and Montiel. Like, you can do without Montiel. Give McAllister a chance. And now yeah. I'm just thinking, Deserbi, please, 
give him all the penalties. All you know, he was so excited about getting the penalty. All right. I think it's the fifth one out of five he converted this season. And I was actually, I was looking at the stats and that midfield for Brighton. I mean, okay, again, functional the way they play, but... I was so impressed with Deserbi when I saw them after they beat Liverpool and he kind of went, for this season, Mitoma needs to give me 10 goals and March needs to give me 10 mm. goals. Mitoma is now 10 goals for the season. Mm-hmm. Maybe he is now 10 in the Premier League. March has eight. They're also having assists. You know, McAllister um, has eight, has 10 no, overall as, well, as yeah. well. In the Premier League, their midfield, and I, I wonder whether this is the most midfield heavy team in, in the league. They have 31 now out of their 49 goals. For example, forwards for Brentford have 27. So it's clearly different approaches. But, you know, of the two teams, if I wanted to watch them week in, week out, of course I watched watched Brighton. But at the same time, Brentford, off their own throw, they score a goal, they win the ball back off the opposition throw, and then they convert a free kick. And that's pretty much all the chances they had. And it's just, it works. And then they're one defeat in 16. Very vague theory that has just jumped into mind about Brighton. But I wonder, and I've not looked back, so this is very much just a very small sample size. But I wonder if those managers who are appointed when a manager chooses to leave rather than is sacked, have a they, they clearly have a big advantage anyway, but I wonder if there's a natural sort of buy-in from the players to say this wasn't just about Graham Potter, this was us as well, mm. and we're going to show you that it was us as well. So when a manager goes in and says, all you need to do is kind of, you know, show that this your impact in that you won't all get a move to Chelsea, although the way Chelsea are going, half of you probably will. <laughs> um, but for the rest of you, yeah, show what you can do, and I think you just naturally get that such a boost and a, and a kind of extended boost. And Deserbi's clearly done brilliantly. This is on him as well. But I just think it's a very it was such a nice situation to walk into when the players were ready to kind of say, this is us too. But I think also, uh, you know, in terms of players being challenged and players right. actually sticking with it, Pascal Gross, uh, he's played up front, he's played wing back, he's played attacking midfielder. And now for the last few games, he's the defensive midfielder there. And obviously he's now scoring less, but he has a different role, but he just still does it very well. So it's like it's the, yeah, the buy-in is so hugely important. Okay, these two teams remain locked together on the same number of points. Brighton sixth on goal difference ahead of Brentford in seventh. What what would that get them? Europa League and Europa Conference Stro- League. Europa, Europa, Stro- uh, Europa League should get sixth. Should get Europa yeah. League and, and seventh Conference, conference. For Brentford as it stands. They've never, neither of them ever played in Europe. I mean, I'm pretty sure from fans' point of view, mm. they would take that Conference League. They would take that Europa League. All right, one point behind them, they've got this slot. Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, ahead of them, Newcastle and Man United, and two uh, 0 Newcastle. Yeah. Sunday, well, late afternoon, revenge, Natalie, for the League Cup final. Newcastle was brilliant. Yeah, they. I mean, tell us more. They were really, really good. Willock's goal was a really nice goal. You know, the the, the whole the whole play, mm. uh, how how they just uh, the passing and the movements. It, it was all really good. Where uh, there's a Willock, says <laughs> Martin Tyler on commentary. Are you having that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's a way. Mm. <laughs> so and Anthony versus Dan Burn. Dan Burn. He was just. He was just fantastic. Actually, uh, the, the impression that I have is that if Rashford is not producing something spectacular, the other attacking players are, are not doing things for for Man United because Anthony he. He tried, but Dan Byrne was was too good against him. And Weghorst, uh, it's the, the the one of the main debates with mm. with Man United fans because he's just not scoring in the Premier League. Well, and they're not either. That's three games now. The last three games they failed to 
put the ball in the net. And and the midfield, I it just I, I were know they we, missing an important player, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, maybe just a, t- a tiny mm. important player. We talk about Casemiro's uh, importance in defending, uh, but the way he organizes the build-up for Man United is also remarkable. So I think they're missing that. They had McTominay, uh, but it's a completely different ca- characteristic, and they had uh, Sal- Salibzer. But it just it didn't work. It, it never it, it never happened there for Man United. And again, we saw we, we saw Newcastle uh, beat Man United. But again, we saw uh, De Gea making extraordinary saves, uh, at least three. And it made me wonder if if De Gea is the best goalkeeper in the league this season. You, you can you can argue Ramsdale uh-huh. maybe, but but De Gea has been very what, influential. What about Nick Pope, who Man United Nick Pope in two, as well. two yes. meetings and not being able to, which makes it all the more significant that he wasn't able to play in that. League Cup final. Absolutely, course. but I, I feel like his first half of the season was was remarkable, mm. and, and and with the hair, I think the argument, the point is that he makes a lot of extraordinary, really difficult saves, and he's doing it all the time. Right. It's funny because it, it well a couple of years ago, people thought the hair was very much a finished. Well, I think I think even in this game, uh, you know, when they did the match of the day analysis, they kind of pointed out that. You know, Newcastle were happy to let him kick because his kicking isn't particularly refined. Mm. But having said that, I think especially the save from Joelinton from the corner was extraordinary. Just what a... Because he got caught out. He recovered. His hands were in the right place. And he managed to save it. And I thought, like, that is like, you know, should show kids those saves because this is how you don't lose your head. Mm. And then you re- recover to do. So I thought he had a really good game. But I thought... Any kids listening? Any yeah. kids kids listening? Watch that the hair save. But... Yeah. As Natalie, as you said, I thought that midfield was just so confused. So, so every time Newcastle got forward, they just got through. And it was just, an abs- I thought it was an absolute massacre. Can I just ask, is there ever a time when you were young watching football? Didn't have you- televisions back in the years. Because you're here, Jonathan Pierce will often go, any youngsters watching <laughs> there? You know, that's, that's how you make yeah. that. Uh, did, Daniel, did you ever sit there and going, oh... It was more the affectations. It was like the Cantona collar up, the Jurgen Klopp right. dive on the <laughs> yeah. grass. It was like Ravenelli shirt over here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't like oh, I should use my laces for that shot. I, no, I wasn't <laughs> doing that. Uh, any thoughts on Newcastle? We've now had three uh, wins in a row after that run of disappointing the, results. The, the the question about Eddie Howe was always at Bournemouth. It was partly a, a transfer record, but also about kind of stopping the rot on certain runs. And that remarkably seems to have become his strength at Newcastle in terms of turning around sticky situations, of which there was one when they drew, I think, five in seven or five in eight league games. He seems to be able to make the most of things that go their way. So they score the last-minute penalty against Forest. That immediately becomes a big moment to create momentum. And it feels like every other team in that top four race, and including Man United now, to be honest, it's just not they're not making the most of momentum in the same way as, as Newcastle are. We've we talked about Liverpool, they'll win a game and then they'll fall back. Chelsea will have a nice run had a nice run at the Potter, then suddenly it went away. Newcastle seems to be the ones that kind of make this feel sustainable over a period of time. And that I think will take them in the top four. Right. Okay. They're currently ahead of Man United in third place, but on goal difference. Uh, Man United one stat that won't make happy reading for Ten Hag, the fact that while they are unbeaten in 23 matches at Old Trafford, they are absolutely rubbish on the road. Uh, in fact, against top nine teams in the Premier League, they played six, lost six on the road, conceding 26 goals. Good Lord. Both teams are in action midweek. Man United will be back at home. They're going to be taking on Brentford, 
who beat them so famously back at the start of the season. West Ham, meanwhile, will be hosting Newcastle. Both those matches taking place on Wednesday. It's a busy midweek just to bring you up to speed on the matches once again. I think we mentioned them once or twice. Certainly Leeds against Nottingham Forest seems to keep coming up in conversation. That's on Tuesday. Bournemouth Brighton is also on Tuesday, as is Leicester Aston Villa. Monday sees Everton taking on Spurs. Crikey. It's a big game, eh? Everton. If Everton go down, do they go out of business? Well. You know, how to spend your way to, towards relegation. I think that Everton, this, this, is, this is your thing. And given, given how you know, depressing it's become following mm. Everton on and off the pitch uh, for many, many years now, uh, my friend Richard, who is an Evertonian, um, right. His quote from the weekend, which stuck with me, was, I hope they cease to exist. Right. Then they could what? never ruin my day again. What? And it's not, it's, not the, it's not the first time I heard that from Everton. Because I think, you know, football's supposed to be our escape. And sometimes it just no longer is because it doesn't brighten up our day. <laughs> just <laughs> escape to a dark yeah. place. <laughs> the problem is you were choosing between either having Saturdays completely ruined or every day made a little bit worse. It's not, it's not a great choice, is it? And That's... this is how you end the podcast on a high note. Luckily, luckily, <laughs> luckily, Tommy Stats comes to our rescue. Tommy Stats says, as a Bolton Wanderers fan, my question is, can I have two minutes on Bolton winning silverware? Now, Bolton very nearly did disappear from existence uh, not that long ago. What was it, four years ago when hmm. they were facing financial meltdown? A new backer was found. And this weekend, they won the EFL trophy at Wembley in front of almost 80,000 people. Uh, four nil winners against Plymouth. Sorry, Daniel. I was going to say the largest football crowd in Europe this weekend was oh, wow. two third tier teams playing at, at Wembley, and yeah, and Bolton. The EFL Trophy gets a lot of criticism, and I understand why because I think it, it became a very slightly hackneyed competition with what, the, what is with the it, sponsorship Daniel? deals. So it's just a, a competition for the bottom two tiers. Mm. Um, but they brought in, in the group, they made it a group stage and then they brought through uh, the Premier League under-21 teams into the group stage, which I thought was an awful idea and still do. But there's no doubt that it gives you a brilliant day out of Wembley if you get there. And also the perfect Wembley experience in that normally when you go to Wembley, losing would be the worst day of your year. Whereas the EFL Trophy, because it, it matters but not as much as the league, it, it is a genuinely lovely day out. And yes, it's better if your team thrash your opponents in the final. And the the hope, I hope that Plymouth go up this season because they're a brilliantly run club. They're a superb community club and they deserve championship football because of that. But Bolton got, you know, Bolton got the big day out of Wembley and, and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed themselves. I know a few fans, they were there and they were just kind of like agog. The, you know, the dream Wembley scenario, two goals in the first 10 minutes and then miss a few chances and you think, oh, we're going to rue this and then scoring like a minute after half time so you can just enjoy the rest of the game. That's the perfect Wembley experience. Brilliant. They could be back at Wembley quite soon because they're fifth right now in Liga. League <laughs> one. Uh, so Farmers yeah, League. they could be <laughs> potentially, potentially. Uh, you know, there's the option of a playoff final. Mm. Good, there you go. Crikey! Well, that's uh, that's for you there, Tommy Stats. So, Natalie, anything else you want to add about this weekend? No, let's end on this high note. Yes, All right. that was very successful. Excellent. Cheers, Sasha. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, listener. Thank you, producer Charlie. Thanks again to Kelly Summers for taking care of business so brilliantly while I was away. Uh, but I'll be back on Tuesday morning uh, with the Euro crew talking about League One and other divisions as well. 
Uh, so do join me and them for that. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.